Well, hey, Convergent Church, it's a pleasure to be gathered with you as we remind our hearts of the truths of who God is and all that he has done as we sing the word as we just did, as we uh, read from God's word, as we show the word through communion a little later, and as we pray the word. Our hope is that you would leave here feeling refreshed, recharged, and ready to live out the mission of God to make disciples of all people, wherever he may have you in the city of Owasa this week, in your home, in your neighborhood, in the community, at your job, and anywhere and everywhere in between. If you're joining us for your first time, welcome. Uh, We're so grateful that you visited us this morning. My name is Dan, and I'm one of the planters and pastors here at Convergent Church. And uh, if you're here every week, it's also good to see you too. It's always good to see some familiar faces. Um, This morning, we find ourselves in the tail end of a series that we've titled the value of vision. In Proverbs 29, 18, Solomon declared, where there is no vision, the people are perishing. And as a church, especially as a new church, a church that's not even a year removed from its uh, official launch, it's essential that we have a clear vision of where we're going and how we're going to get there, what our purpose is and what our lives ought to be marked by. Because the reality is, is that We're a motley crew, not the 1980s heavy metal band. Um, Rather, we're a diverse people from different places of different ethnicities, different socioeconomic classes, different faith backgrounds, and no faith backgrounds at all. To that end, in this series, we've been taking a look at our vision, our mission, and our core values to kind of get us all on the same page, working together towards a common goal, heading in the same direction. And if you're considering making Convergent Church your home and you haven't been here for the last several weeks, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to the rest of the messages in this series. You can do so at convergentowasso.com slash sermons. That's going to be the best way to kind of get to know who we are, what we believe God has called us to do in this city, and whether or not we might be a good fit for you. Now, this morning, we've come to our value of gospel collaboration. That's going to be our focus today, which we would define in this way, gospel collaboration. Because Christ's church is founded upon the gospel, we must be united in the gospel. The gospel frees us for kingdom work in collaboration with others, even those whom we may disagree with on secondary doctrinal issues. So the question at hand this morning is why does collaboration matter? If it's one of our core values, why does it matter? And thus far, we've looked at our other core values of the gospel and community and transparency and gospel conversations, right? The gospel, right? That's a no-brainer. Of course, we value the gospel because it's the good news that Jesus came to save us from our sin by living the sinless life that we were unable to live and dying the sinner's death that we deserve to die for our sin. How could we not value that, right? It's been the very power of death to life for us. It also makes sense that we'd value community and transparency because God's means for helping persevere us in the faith and making us more like Jesus is our relationships with one another, right? Is, is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're bearing burdens. We're encouraging one another. We're confessing our sins one to another that we may be healed. Then there's gospel conversations. Is a people who've been liberated from their bondage to sin and given eternal life, how could we not tell others of the joy of this salvation 
that has made us whole, that's taken us from beggars to being royalty, from taking us from being slaves to being free, that they may find their rescue too. But then there's this idea of gospel collaboration. As it pertains to our vision of seeing the entirety of our city one to Jesus through the truth of the gospel, how does collaboration fit into that? After all, most of us in this room likely have a story about how some other church in this city let us down or hurt us. So it seems maybe a little counterproductive at first to go like, wait, I'm going to go back now. Now we're going to collaborate to advance the gospel together here in the city. But if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me uh, to John chapter 17. In John 17, we see what's become known as the high priestly prayer. And it's one of the most moving prayers I've ever read or heard in my life, and it comes directly from the lips of Jesus. As you turn there, allow me to give you a little context. Jesus is on his way to the cross for the sins of the world. He had just told his disciples that they weren't going to see him anymore. He had just told them that sorrow was going to be coming their way but that it would eventually turn to to joy. And he concludes chapter 16 with this statement. He said, I have told you these things that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's where we're going to pick up uh, this morning in John chapter 17. This morning is probably going to be a little different. If you you know me, I... I like alliteration. Uh, I'm sort of a a stereotype of a Baptist preacher who's got like three points, and I'm going to state it, and I'm going to illustrate it, and I'm going to apply all of them. Um, But this morning, we're just going to kind of flow with it. We're just going to, we're going to read through chapter 17. I literally don't have any other slides on the screen. We're just going to look at the scripture. We're going to hone in in particular on verses 20 through 26, and we're going to see what God has to say to us in that as it pertains to gospel collaboration. So Jesus tells them, take heart, I have overcome the world. And then he prays this. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am praying not for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one 
even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. And then here's where we're going to focus in today. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now there's so much here. There's so much beauty here. And I'm excited to tell you that later on this year, we're actually going to preach through the entire gospel of John. So that portion of scripture, there's probably going to be like 10 different sermons at the pace that we normally work at. Um, so this morning, I'm going to try and keep it really focused just on the topic at hand of gospel collaboration. But as we look at these verses here, as Jesus is moving towards the cross on our behalf, he has but two things on the forefront of his mind. There are but two things that he asks the Father for in verses 20 through 26. He prays that we, the church, would be perfectly one as he and the Father are one. And he prays that we together as one may be with him in glory. Jesus asked the Father that we would be united in him here on earth and reunited with him in glory. Now let's begin to kind of tease out these two requests a little bit to get to the heart of why gospel collaboration matters. Jesus desires that the church would be one. This is why collaboration matters. In verse 20, we see this clarification that his desire for his disciples to be one wasn't merely for a particular time in history. It transcends just that original 12 minus Judas that he had previously been praying for. He clarifies in saying in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. His prayer for oneness is for the church. It's for all Christians of all time. This desire remains to this very day that all those who believe in him through the teachings of his disciples would be one. 
After Jesus rose from the grave, he sent his disciples on a mission. It's, an, it's a mission that exists to this very day, that they and we would go into all the world and that we would make disciples. So if you profess faith in Jesus today, it's because of the word of the Lord through one of his disciples to you. That's how we've come to know this God. This is how we've come to be in communion with him. He says, I do not ask only for these, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So as we move into verse 21, we see Jesus clarify the nature of this oneness that he is speaking of. He's not talking about his people sharing similar interests. He's not talking about sharing the same hobbies or dressing the same way or behaving the same way. This oneness isn't the stoicism of a military formation, right, where everyone has the same haircut and the same uniform and they're all marching to the beat of the same drum. That's uniformity. That's not what Jesus is praying for. He isn't praying for uniformity. He's praying for unity amidst diversity. Remember, Jesus and the Father are two very distinct persons within the Godhead. Jesus and the Father have two very distinct roles. Yet, they are one in relationship and they are one in mission. Jesus' prayer is that just as he and the Father are one, right, in their distinct roles, that we too would be one in them. It's a oneness of relationship, and it's a oneness of mission. Every time that Convergent Church gathers, I look out and I see teachers, and I see students. I see nurses, and I see creatives. I see financial advisors, and I see factory managers, moms and dads, husbands and wives, retirees. We didn't go to the same school. We don't like the same Sports teams, we don't have the same hobbies, yet our union is stronger than the bond that comes from any country club or that can be found in any stadium. So why are we all here? Because we understand that we are sinners deserving of God's wrath, yet because of his love, he sent Jesus to become our sin, to die in our place, to rise from our grave, that by grace through faith, we could be saved from our sin and inherit eternal life. And that, my friends, is more powerful than any common experience or shared interest because of this. We share in Christ. Our, our unity comes from our union in the Father and in the Son. And that's worth celebrating. That's worth getting excited about. Like, where else on the planet does that happen? A people as diverse as this coming together. But as amazing as that is, there's a lingering question that we have to ask in light of this. If Jesus desires that his church would be one, why does it at times seem so divided? That's a great question. It's one that's often uh, posed by unbelievers. It's kind of this notion, if, if God is who he says he is, why can't his people seemingly agree on anything? 
There's infighting. My atheist friends are quick to point out that there are roughly 40,000 different Christian denominations. Now, that number is taken from the World Christian Encyclopedia, but it's honestly a, a misleading figure. One author noted how a closer look would actually reveal that they define a denomination as an organized Christian group within a specific country. So for instance, there's one Roman Catholic church, but it exists in 200 countries. So they count that in this statistic as being 200 different denominations. It's, it's a misleading statistic. The actual number of denominations is, is closer to about 300, but that's still a lot, right? That's still a lot, of, a lot of differences. Why is there this semblance of division amongst Christians when Jesus' desire is for us to be one? I think it's helpful to think about division in, in two categories. There's, there's healthy division, and then there's unhealthy division. So let's begin with healthy division. What kind of division is actually healthy for the church? And I would say separation from that which is contrary to God's word. This is what's often referred to as heresy. Now, allow me to share an example of this. Um, Throughout the majority of the 1800s and even before, Slavery was rampant in the southern states. And in 1845, things came to a head in the Baptist denomination. Baptists in the north were looking at their Bibles and and going, all people are made in the image of God. That means that slavery is actually an affront on the gospel and that the Baptists in the south need to repent. Meanwhile, the Baptists in the South were white supremacists. They were slave owners, and they doubled down on their justification of slavery. The Baptists in the North and the Baptists in the South would divide themselves and separate that year because the Baptists in the South had abandoned the truth of God's word as it pertains to the dignity and the value of all people as image bearers of God. But now, fast forward to the year 2023. And Baptists in the South have long since repented of their sin, and now Baptists in the North and Baptists in the South are largely united in doctrine and in practice, but there exists multiple denominations still. It's not truly a division, but at one time there was a division to preserve the fidelity of the gospel. The reality is that anything that contradicts God's word is heresy. It's contrary to the teaching of Scripture in Orthodox Christianity. And heresy is like cancer. When cancer gets into the body, it has to be eradicated because it can quickly spread throughout the whole rest of the body and kill the entire body. But what happens when cancer attacks a particular part of the body and the prescribed treatment doesn't work? Right? That part of the body has to be removed to preserve the whole. It has, to be, it has to be separated to preserve the health of the rest of the person. And so it is with the church. When teachings and practices emerge that stand in stark contrast with what the Bible teaches to be truth, we must identify them and we must remove ourselves from them lest we too become tainted. 
In Galatians 5.9, Paul said a little leaven leavens the whole lump, meaning it takes just a little false teaching to effectively tarnish all of Christ's church. So when we see things happening that are glaringly contrary to God's word, when there's rampant sin, we divide and it's actually healthy and it preserves the fidelity of the church. Now, what kind of division is unhealthy for the church? I would say the, the overemphasis of secondary doctrines. There are primary doctrines and there are secondary doctrines. Primary doctrines are the, the non-negotiable doctrines of the Christian church. These are matters that, that we have a closed hand regarding. These are things like the triune nature of God, right? The reality that God is three distinct persons, but one in essence, it's also speaking to salvation by faith alone, right? Like we, we're not saved by works of the law. It's speaking to Christ's substitutionary atonement, the virgin birth, the sinlessness of Christ, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and future bodily return. These are the things that we must believe to be Christians. These are primary matters that we remain close-handed with. Secondary issues would be everything else. Things like the proper mode of baptism. Is it believers or is it babies? Is it immersion or is it sprinkling? Or the supernatural gifts like tongues and healing. Are they still active for the church today? Or Calvinism and Arminianism? Or old earth creation versus young earth creation? Views on communion, views on which day the church should corporately gather to worship, views on the millennial reign of Christ. These are things that we are open-handed with because they aren't essentials. And there are certain scriptures that could honestly support any one of these things in one way or the other. That is to say, falling on one end of the spectrum or the other on any of these topics doesn't make somebody not a Christian. Right? You can be an old earth Christian, you can be a young earth Christian. You can be a Christian who baptize babies or who dunk believers. Like there's, there's, there's room at the table for both. However, throughout the years, some of these secondary issues have been overemphasized. Some have sought to make these secondary issues primary issues, and that in turn has divided the body. For instance, my, my wife... Uh, she was a long, tried and true, faithful Pentecostal for most of her life. And within her circles, there was this notion that, that you weren't a Christian or, or, not, or at least you weren't filled with the Spirit if you hadn't received the gift of tongues as evidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's an interesting one because Jesus himself would be disqualified for the record, but we can talk about that later. Um, but then on the other end of the spectrum, there's a fraction of independent fundamental Baptists who believe that you're not a Christian, that you don't really have God's word unless you're reading it from the King James Version of the Bible, right? Both of these extremes are unbiblical and unhealthy and unnecessary distinctions that God's word doesn't make and thus can serve to divide the church in an unhealthy way. Because it says, you don't believe exactly like me, you're not God's child, or you're not a part of God's household. There's a very helpful quote on unity amidst diversity that I think that 
as a church, we would be wise to hold fast to. It comes from a 16th century Lutheran theologian, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, but it says this. It says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So now that we kind of have a pulse on why there are so many denominations and why at times division is healthy and why at other times division is unhealthy. Let's circle back around. In the midst of several denominations and differences on secondary issues in our city, why should we pursue collaboration with other churches? Well, we know in part because Jesus desires that we would be one. Right? Not uniformity, but unity on essentials. But then we can see some more if we continue reading in John uh, chapter 17. And at the end of verse 21, he said, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Here we see the purpose of our oneness. Christian unity advances the gospel. Our unity together is one of the best accelerants that we could pour on to seeing our vision fulfilled in this city. And Jesus uh, reiterates it again, moving into the next couple of verses. Uh, He says, uh, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may also be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. And he says it again, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you love me. Jesus is saying that when Christians are one, it substantiates the truth of who he is in an otherwise unbelieving world. So we value unity, we value collaboration because Jesus desires it and because it's a means by which those in the world will come to know him in faith. And that's what we desire. A few weeks ago, we, when we were talking about our, our value of gospel community, we looked at Acts chapter 2, but I'd like to look there again in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, And they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And right, what's happening here is it says, and, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a compelling community. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a movement like that? When the church is united as one, who can resist that? Who can refuse that? Throughout history, it's times such as these when we've seen the kingdom had its greatest advances. When God's people are together, united in him, being the church. Because there's something to be said. It's 
noteworthy when a diverse group of people who would otherwise have nothing in common come together and seek not their own good, but seek the good of those around them. Jesus has given us his glory to this end. Commenting on a portion of John 17, Matthew, this portion of John 17, Matthew Henry said, wherever the love of God is shed abroad in the heart, it will change it into the same image. That's what God's glory does. It conforms us individually and collectively more and more into his image and into his likeness. Our unity in relationship with Christ and our unity in mission to make disciples of all nations is a critical piece to fulfilling our vision here in the city of Owasso. Uh, Our vision statement by way of refresher is this, that we live and labor to see the day when the city of Owasso collectively displays the kingdom of God made manifest on earth. That's a mouthful, but, but stated plainly, we want everyone in our city to meet Jesus. We live in labor to see our city redeemed. We want everyone to be transformed by the power of the gospel, for Jesus to be treasured and for Jesus to be worshiped throughout our entire city. And my friends, this doesn't happen apart from collaboration, apart from our unity with others in the church. Let me tell you, there's a lot of churches that have been here doing a very good work before I was even born, right? Before Convergent Church even existed. And the reality is, is we are 40-some, 50-some people in a room. Convergent Church as a whole on a regular basis, there's maybe 70 of us that would call this place home. That's a very small fraction when contrasted to the 15,000 people in the city of Owasso. The most recent statistic that I've seen would say that Only 10% of people who live in the city of Owasso would profess to belong to a local church. If you do the math, that's only 1,500 people. Now, when we're fractured and when we're fragmented, it's hard to accomplish very much. But dream with me. Imagine with me what it would look like for those 1,500 people to say, not my kingdom, but Christ's kingdom to say, not my will be done, but his will be done here in the city of Owasso on earth as it is in heaven. And to together, collaboratively work to fulfill the Great Commission. Because the reality is, is one tiny little church in the basement of an old armory isn't enough to put a dent on this city. But together, man, what a bold witness we would have. What great advancements we would see in this city. And Jesus desires that we would be one, that we would be together to see this happen. Right? We're one small group of people with a small set of resources, but how much more could we do together? Every believer is, is, is given a spiritual gift, Right? We all have a particular function within the body. We all have differing gifts, but not one gift is better than the other. All of our gifts work together for the whole, for the betterment of the body. 
And I, when I think about the local churches in our community, I often feel like, man, most of these churches tend to embody a particular gift, right? You've got one church that's just crushing it at mercy ministry, right? Like they're meeting people's needs. They're feeding the poor. They're taking care of the homeless, and that's awesome, but they can't be all things for all people. So then over here, you've got a church that, man, they're like, they're cranking out disciples left and right. People are coming there who've been Christians their whole lives, but then they're diving deep into the ward and they're becoming disciples who in turn make disciples. And then there's other churches where, man, there's just something in the air that is, is, is the pastor or is the leadership team preaches. It's like every week people are meeting Jesus but there needs to be others to disciple them. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it takes all of us together in unity, collaboratively to fulfill the great commission here in our city. Every single church has a part to play in this. And we would be foolish to think that we in and of ourselves are enough. Our greatest asset is one another. And God has given us one another to this end so that the world may believe in Jesus. Unity in the church is a powerful testimony to the world. Real unity is a supernatural work that points to the supernatural reason that Jesus actually resides, that he lives in us, that he indwells us by his spirit. Thomas Manton said, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. John MacArthur put it this way. He says, the effectiveness of the church's evangelism is devastated by dissension and disputes among its members. Sadly, we can all probably share stories of how we've seen that be true. But my friends, the good news is that the reverse is also true. A unified church reveals power, powerful, life-changing truths to the world. The church is the, the, the visible display of God's goodness to the world. Each local church is a visible display of God's kindness to its immediate community. Collaboration matters because Jesus desires it, and it matters because it's his means for reaching the entirety of our city with the gospel. But as we continue reading, Jesus didn't stop there. He said, Father, I desire that also those whom you've given me may be with me where I am. That's verse 24. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Here's the thing, guys. The other churches in this city they're not our enemies. They're not our competitors. But they are our co-laborers in the gospel. And even though sometimes we don't act like it, we're all working towards the same kingdom. We're all serving the same king in our different ways. We're all going to the same place. So how much better would it be for us to get to that work now to, to expedite the return of Christ? Because we're told that, that Christ is not going to return until the gospel has gone out to all people. My friends, we value collaboration because Jesus 
desires it because it serves to advance the gospel here in our city. And he desires that we collectively as one would be with him in glory. So why don't we work to bring heaven to earth now during this time? So we've looked at the high priestly prayer. We've seen this desire for oneness. We've seen uh, that a united church further advances the gospel. We've seen Jesus' desire for his church to be with him in glory, which we will. But what does this look like, practically speaking? How do we as a church exercise collaboration? Well, let me just share some of the ways that we're already doing that that we've already partnered with the North American Mission Board to plant churches all across North America. We've partnered with the International Mission Board to fund missionaries overseas. We've partnered with Send Relief to bring tangible help uh, in relief efforts when things like hurricanes strike and other natural disasters. We've partnered with the Genesee Baptist Association to continue planting healthy churches uh, here in kind of the the tri-county area. Um, we engage with other local churches. Actually, this morning, Jameson is over in Fremont, Michigan, uh, over kind of by like Ludington, Muskegon area, and he's leading worship for a church over there to kind of build this partnership, this collaboration with one another. And I've done the same. I've gone and I've preached at other churches to, to make those intentional connections. These are, these are some things that we're doing. But even beyond this, man, one thing that Jameson and I have desired is that to get local pastors together just to pray, just to be united in prayer that God would build his kingdom here in our city and that he would do so through our unity on essential matters. But this could also look like partnering together on community service projects, right? Last year, we did a backpack drive where we put um, a backpack with different clothing items and different um, Um, hygiene items into backpacks for the students at Lincoln High School. We put a backpack in every student's hand. But man, imagine what we could do together as the church in Owasso. When When we pool our money, when we pool our resources to a common goal. But then what about you personally? How does this apply to you today? Here's some things that I think that we can do on a personal level as we value collaboration and strive for unity amongst the body of Christ in our city. Pray for the various churches in this city daily. Pray for other churches daily. And pray for any of the Christians that you know who attend those churches. I know sometimes, right, when we disagree with people on secondary issues, it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, how in the world could they possibly believe that crazy thing? But I'd ask you the question of like, how did you arrive at where you're at in your particular theological worldview if somebody else hadn't been like, man, this guy's way over here. I need to pull him in and I need to have some conversations with him. I need to walk in the word with him. Who do you know that you can have those conversations with, that you can pray for, that you can pull in as iron sharpens iron? Something else that each one of us can do today and moving forward is we can avoid gossip about other believers and about other churches, right? Instead of gossiping, we could actually build one another up. Or what about this? We, could, we can work together in humility. And we can refuse to let secondary doctrinal matters divide 
us from other believers. Because, my friends, we desire for Jesus to make his reign here in this city. And we, in and of ourselves, are not enough. And our unity together is the body of Christ. It was one of God's primary means for accomplishing that, maybe even in our lifetime. So, the question is, what about you? Will you value collaboration with us? Will you help unify the body of Christ in relationship and in mission? My friends, we live in labor to see Christ's kingdom come to this city. So maybe go before him now and ask that he would do just that.